Welcome back to another Baseball America podcast. This is a prospect episode. I'm your host, Jeff Ponce. I am joined by Mark Chiarelli. We are talking Oakland Athletics prospects today. The top 10's been out for a while. The top 30 is now up on the site. Mark, welcome to the podcast. How are you, man? I'm great. Thanks for having me on, Jeff. Of course. Um, switching up a little bit. I feel like it's always been JJ, you know, Kyle. It's been Josh. Now- it's you and I here, and you're not a guest. You're and, an internal back with the team and uh, doing the Oakland Athletics. I guess that was true. like it's some sort of like a of an initiation. We we make you take on the athletic system. This is my one time a year where I come out from behind the shadows and and come talk about <laughs> prospects. So I always look forward to it. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Um, And it's funny, this athletic system is much maligned. um, And I know there's sort of a theme here where the top 10, and we talked about this offline before we got onto the show, top 10's pretty good. It's it's got a lot of exciting players, a handful of players who have debuted, some who will debut very shortly, uh, and a couple of sleepers as well. I know one player in particular that Throughout the handbook process, we both sort of gushed over in our personal conversations about this system. But before we jump into that, Mark, we always sort of like to lead things off and talk about the bigger picture, the sure, bird's sure. eye view of the organization. So talk to me a little bit about what's at the major league level now that the athletics have developed, maybe what's elsewhere that they've developed. And then we'll talk a little bit about what's coming up in the pipeline and then break down the uh, list. Sure, 100%. I, I think... The most optimistic bird's eye view look at the system is that it is better than it was a year ago when I came on at this time. Uh, they have four top 100 prospects. Granted, two of the guys at the top, Mason Miller and Tower Soderstrom, uh, have some risk involved, and, and even Jacob Wilson is, is divisive in certain parts of uh, the scouting community. But there's some talent there at the top. I think it does drop off, like you said, after 10, but it's moving in the right direction, especially relative to each of the last two seasons. Um, and you can parlay Zach Geloff's emergence this season as well as another win. He was a guy who ranked number two in the system a year ago. Um, he was a 2020 guy and, and looks like someone who can run and, and hit for power and um, is one of the few kind of building blocks, I think, right now in the major league level that you could see there for three, five years and get excited about. Um, so those are the wins. I think depth is still an issue. And, and like you said, um, there are a lot of XAs right now having success elsewhere, whether they're the the Chapmans and the Olsons and the Sean Murphys of the world, um, or maybe in, if you reach even a little bit deeper down, um, a name like Jonah Heim, for example. It was a guy who, in the A system for a little while who they traded to Texas. Uh, I know he was hurt, but uh, Frankie Montas is a guy who went elsewhere and um, has been productive. So there's a couple other examples like that where it, it, has, uh, it has jettisoned out of Oakland. But I think if you do step back i think that this system is in slightly better spot and i think and granted uh, i'm the guy who does the a system and no one else so um, i only see this very very specifically but i think they could even be a couple spots higher in our board talent rankings and, and no one would bat an eye because it's starting to move in, in a better direction yeah and it's it's funny to take a, a step back and look at it um you know you have the mats you have matt olson matt chapman you know sean murphy um really strong core that they had at one point of, you know, young players. And 
obviously there's financial situation that's, you know, and, and that's been looming with this organization for a long time. Now you have the potential move to Las Vegas and parts of that are still up in the air. Um, it's too bad because I think sometimes everything around this baseball team has been so focused on non-baseball stuff and, and play on the field when not that long ago, this was a pretty steady organization in terms of producing talent and homegrown talent at that and sort of managing the uh, the, the the budget and, you know, the salary and that sort of thing that they certainly don't <laughs> dive into yeah. at all any longer. Um, if, if you look at the 2017, 2018, 2019, they were creeping towards 100 win or 100 sure. win when, when the COVID season kicked in. Um, and, and I don't know how deep we're going to go into where it got dry, but even once you look at like a 2019, 2020, 2021, the top of the list, uh, they made some like trading Lazardo to Miami was a move to try to maximize the tail end of that core at the end of the, the last decade. Uh, and what ended up happening is that that next wave, whether it is now performing elsewhere or simply just didn't pan out, that was truly the black hole. Uh, I know we were chatting before. If you go back and look at uh, the, the top six, our 2020 preseason top six in the A system right now. Uh, Jesus Lazardo, AJ Puck, Sean Murphy, Dalton Jeffries, Austin Beck, Robert Poisson. That's a that's a tough one to kind of come back from if you're the Oakland A's, considering what is still in your system. Only one of those guys is still in the system, uh, in what is elsewhere. So um, there was a definitely they're working out of that hole. Uh, but I know we're going to get into the top ten. I think there are some interesting pieces here. Whether it's enough to turn things around in a meaningful way. I'm a little bit more skeptical because I don't see necessarily the, the high end talent that they need because of the limitations, like you mentioned with payroll and acquisition, et cetera. I'm not sure if that player or those two couple players are there, but there are, I think, impactful big leaguers to be had in this A system. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, you can go back, we won't go into it too much. Um, but go back and there are some players that were taken in the top 10 one who plays quarterback for the Arizona <laughs> Cardinals, um you know then ultimately they got nothing from um Austin Beck being another example you got nothing from Austin Beck uh at the major league level and that's kind of remarkable when you look at top 10s it doesn't happen all that frequently and certainly doesn't happen to multiple teams where I mean, I'm talking, you don't even get like a debut in the major leagues um, or traded before that, you know. Um, it's all sort of interesting how everything has fallen into place. But um, that being said, let's talk about what is coming. Um, when we do look at this top 10, there are, let's see, one, two, uh, three, four, four players that have made their debuts, at, right? Because Dara Hernandez has not debuted yet. Correct. He he will. He he should. Good, this year, yeah, would be highly highly like. So there's a good chunk of this this core that you've already seen, and some that could be coming as well. This is kind of putting you on the spot before we jump into it. Do you think they have the makings of another potentially successful homegrown core like we saw a handful of years ago that's now been jettisoned away for some of the players that they've replaced them with? Yeah, you know, it's not you wouldn't be the first person to compare this wave with the the Olsen Chapman, et cetera, at least internally in, in Oakland's player development staff. 
I am waiting for at least one more impact bat to emerge before I'm ready to to feel really good about making that comparison. Uh, I think for a long time, Tower Soderstrom was was the next one, right? Um, I think there are the makings of of a useful solid core. I don't know if it quite has the ceiling that you know the last previous successful iteration did. Yeah, and I can remember at the time. Uh, that core wasn't necessarily uh, as viewed as highly as they eventually turned out to be. Um, but I do understand what you mean in terms of when we talk about impact bats. And we'll talk about impact bats in a second. But I think, you know, before we jump into the second half of this podcast, let's kick it off a little bit with Mason Miller, the number one, the reigning number one uh, athletics prospect. Miller obviously had the news, uh, had the injury after a big debut and, and looked like, you know, he was on his way to superstardom. What I think many of us suspected is he was then announced as a reliever, more than likely, um, heading into 2024, which I think when you look at the track record and the health, it's not a huge shock. Um, but I think, you know, for those of us that like to dream on players like this, it was... Uh, it was a little disheartening. So what's the take on Miller going into 2024? What do you think this guy could be? Is starting from what you've, you're reporting and who you've spoken with is starting completely out the window or just for now? I don't think it's completely out the window. I, I would say for now, I think it's funny. Uh, I, I had a couple of people tell me that they actually had a, a more um, conservative plan for Miller a year ago until he showed up in spring training and started pitching so well. And he kind of forced their hand to the point where, uh, he did assume a starting role before he got hurt. And I think, I think that's going to be the push and pull this year with Miller, if he can stay healthy, which is a huge if, as we've acknowledged um, several times. Um, he's going to, you're going to want to use him more than one inning. You, you know, he's that, that kind of stuff. Um, so I think if he can get through this season healthy, they hope that starting is still in the cards. I think, you know, getting through this season healthy would uh, represent a huge accomplishment for him because he has missed multiple months each of the last two seasons, but uh, he's, he's a total stuff monster when he's healthy. I mean, that fastball, the cutter, the slider, he throws enough strikes to be a starter. Uh, it, it, it's very electric. Yeah. And I think, you know, he's at least something exciting to look forward to. And Hey, if he's successful as a reliever and maybe he's going five or six innings, I don't know, ACE fans, at least you'll get, 40 plus opportunities to watch Mason Miller pitch versus probably the 12 that he would have as a starter. So <laughs> I'm trying to find the silver lining here, Mark. You're um, an optimistic man. Before we jump into the rest of this top 10, who we talked about in the opening that we like quite a bit, we think is fairly talented. Um, let's take a quick break, Mark, and then we'll be right back after that. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't a search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. That's why I use Indeed for our hiring at Baseball America. It allows me to do everything on one website. I get quality candidates. I can schedule them. I can interview them. I can screen them. I can send messages to them all within Indeed. 
And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. All right, and we are back talking Oakland Athletics prospects with Mark Chiarelli. Mark, um, we just talked about Mason Miller. Now we have a couple of interesting position players. But as you mentioned with with Jacob Miller, and I think I'll throw this in with Tyler Soderstrom, somewhat divisive within the public space for prospects as well as the industry and, and front offices, et cetera, in terms of what we get from move up and move down feedback. They have their their fans. They also have their detractors. Um, let's start with Soderstrom. Makes his major league debut. Was somewhat underwhelming. I think all of us probably feel that he was a little rushed. But what's the internal feeling on Soderstrom? And then externally, what were you getting uh, in terms of Soderstrom's feedback as to how the industry sort of views where he should should be going, where his ultimate upside is still? I think the most optimistic um, take or when you ask about the internal view is that Soderstrom's 2023 season, whether you look at what happened at AAA or once he got to the majors, was enough of a, an awakening in terms of the changes that need to be made to his approach that it's going to sink in and, and you're going to start to see a more mature approach in 2024. Because I think a lot of the elements that uh, were in place and why he, he ranks so highly, whether in our top 100 or at the top of this system, uh, those are intact. He had the highest 90th percentile exit velocity of any prospect on this list. although. Denzel Clark was very close. Uh, the swing is still really good. He still has, you know, a pretty good bat to ball skills, even though there was a lot of swing and miss. And I think that was just because he chased that out of the zone a third of the time. He was swinging at pitches he should not have been swinging at. Uh, I think, you know, it was a jarring, a jarring season for Sadashim. It was the first time that that he really struggled for uh, more than three or four weeks as a professional, and. Now it's, it's what did he take from it? Are we going to see tangible changes to the pitches he's swinging at or um, the decisions that he's making? I think if, if he can make better decisions, if he can lay off some pitches, even maybe in the zone that he's not equipped to, to do a ton of damage on, I think that'll, that'll help. Um, and I think, too, it might create some better angles and he might be able to do a little bit more impact when he does make contact. So uh, the, the ingredients are there, but a change does need to be made with the approach. Yeah, I don't disagree. Um, some of the swing decisions have always been uh, the question mark there. And I think when the bat is so heavily driving the profile, 
that that obviously makes it a little bit concerning. Um, you want those plate skills and that power to be pristine. Um, but there is impact, as you said, and there are plate skills. Um, there are bat to ball skills. And, you know, the approach isn't astronomically bad. It's just one of those things where it's teetering on bad. And, you know, the improvements there could potentially yield, you know, a lot of results. So we'll be interesting to follow that going forward. Um, Last question I have on Soderstrom, just from a positional standpoint, where do they think he ends up? Do you think it's catcher? Do you think he ends up at first base, DH? Where does the future lie? I think it's a mix. They haven't ruled out him catching. Um, I I don't think that he's ever going to bump Langoliers off that position in in a meaningful way. So uh, it might be number two or or catching a couple times a week in the field a couple times, mixing DH. Um, I would be surprised if he he settles on full-time catching it feels like they're trending towards a mix and to your point too um eventually if it's a what is the profile what does it become and is he just better suited to to stay at first base and try to mash i think that's even more likely than um the catching but and they've always been higher internally on his catching ability than than external but the the general feedback that i got throughout the year was this is actually surprisingly average. You know, there have been uh, steps made when he came out of high school. It was it was re- very raw. Um, so I, I think it's it's passable. It's never going to be good, uh, but I think it's enough. Where if they want to run him out there as as a as a to spell Langoliers, you can do it. Good stuff. So let's jump into the next guy here on the list, uh, Jacob Wilson. He is divisive, as I said, um, within the scouting community. I would even argue within the analytics community. If you're somebody on the anal- analyst side that really values impact, you're probably not a huge Jacob Wilson fan. If you're somebody on the you know analyst side who really values plate skills, bat-to-ball skills, approach, and then you look at the body and you say, hey, you know, this is a a bigger guy at six foot three, he could project some power. This isn't Nick Madrigal. Um, there's a chassis to build on here. You might be into it. Hey, he plays pretty good shortstop. Former son of a big leaguer. Talk to me a little bit about Jacob Wilson. That is Jack Wilson. That was his dad, by the way. Um, what are you getting for feedback? What's the expectations? And personally, what what pushed him up to number three? Yeah, I was looking forward to talking about him with you because I know that we we maybe are a little divergent even on Wilson. Uh, it's freakish bat to ball. I mean, the the in zone whiff, the contact ability, it's it's top of the scale. I think the the question that you alluded to and the question plenty of people have is, uh, what is the quality of the contact, and is he is he even able to do damage or impact some of the pitches that he is hitting? I think that you can get away with it obviously a lot more in college than you can in the professional ranks. But I think uh, if you, you look at him, the A's think there's more power coming. There's more impact coming. Um, I've been told that he rarely, if ever lifted weights in college. <laughs> now he, he is now doing so. So uh, perhaps you can project that, that the strength ticks up a little bit. I personally feel like uh, there'll be more gains to be made there. If perhaps there's dialing in of the approach where, where you're choosing pitches to do a little bit more damage on and getting and getting better at that. But if you pair that with uh, what by all accounts, a sure handed sure thing shortstop where he's got above average arm, he's got great instincts as you would expect. Uh, you know, it, I don't think it's elite range, but I think it's, it's enough to stick at shortstop high contact 
You've got the defensive floor. I think too, and, and our colleague Matt Eddy made this point recently. Um, if you look at the success that the A's have had with this kind of player archetype, Zach Geloff is the, the most recent example. Obviously, Geloff hits for hits more power than Wilson, but um, steady college performer with aptitude who has a chance to move pretty quickly. I think perhaps you can you can get optimistic with, with Wilson and think that he's got some skills there and and could move pretty quickly through this system. Uh, the the flip side to what you said, the impact wasn't there, and it was a, a relatively small sample size. I think he only had like 110, 111 plate appearances. They were the the exit velocities, 90th percentile exit velocities. They were lower than you want. <laughs> they were they were lower than you want out of a starting shortstop. So. Uh, it's a clear area of focus. We'll see if he can translate it into a little more pop in 2024. Yeah, I think it's a conversation of like polish versus athleticism and skills versus tools, right? It's easy for us to fall in love with the players that have both. Um, I had somebody, one of my, my colleague and co-host uh, on the 90th percentile, Matt Pajak, who obviously works in this world, once described it to me as, you know, you have your Steph Curry, super skill guy, you have your Russell Westbrook, your super athletic guy, and then you have LeBron, which is the marrying of the two of them. So it's easy to fall in love with the marry of the two of them. But I do think that where we see divergent opinions is when people fall into a certain philosophy, you know. And I don't write off Jacob Wilson's um, extreme polish, his excellent plate skills, his ability to stick at shortstop and maybe be average to above average, maybe better. Um, I think. My question is, how much better can Jacob Wilson become? And I think a lot of it comes down to building up that physique, getting that impact, adjusting the swing enough, realizing you can sacrifice some contact to get to more impact. Does he make those changes? Um, does that impact how how you know he end up ends up projecting at shortstop? It may not. I do think this is a very very low risk major league player. You knew this guy when you drafted him was going to be in the big leagues in a couple of years. Um, the tough parts of the game, defense, things that do keep prospects down, uh, though I know it's often been the excuse during the super two days of, oh, they got to work in his defense. There are a lot of guys where that, in fact, is the case. Um, you're not going to have that excuse with Wilson. He's someone that could move really quickly. And, you know, if if this A's team is better than we expect, earlier than we expect, not saying, we're not talking about 90 games here, but, like, if they're, like, could win 75 games. They're like 500 deeper into a season than we expect in the next couple of years. Wilson should probably get an opportunity to come up and play a lot. It wouldn't shock me if Wilson's in the lineup in August, you know, um, probably won't happen, but I think it's possible. He is to me. I know we're going to talk about uh, her a little bit later, but he is definitively to me, the shortstop of the future in yeah. Oakland. And I think you mentioned too, this is a very low risk major league player. I think the first question you asked, um, why did he ultimately rank where he did in the top 100? And uh, I am a, a very small role in our top 100 process, but I think that would probably speak to it. Um, mm -hmm. and, and the feedback that we got externally, whether him as a, a draft or even when he, he turned pro, there hasn't been anything that has materially changed in terms of the profile. He, he was more or less the guy that uh, we thought he was going to be where he, yeah. right. And so uh, I think, uh, I wouldn't say there's necessarily any alarm bells going off, but there are, like you said, tangible changes that need to be made to the power. Um, 
he's not Nick Allen either. There's more there with the bat. I, I don't know if there are some Ace fans who might get a little jumpy after seeing what's happened with, with Nick Allen so far, but um, you mentioning Nick Madrigal earlier made, made me think of that. I think there's a more impactful player here, obviously, than, than Nick <laughs> Allen. And, and like you said, this, this guy will, will get there in relatively short order. So um, in, in similar vein to what we talked about with Geloff or looking for guys who you could get excited about as long-term faces in Oakland or Sacramento or Las Vegas or wherever they're going to be playing, this is another one. Let's jump into, I think, the most exciting player in this top 10. Uh, the guy that we were gushing about and we kind of teased a little bit earlier. Then we'll talk back end, we'll talk some sleepers, we'll talk breakouts and all that good stuff. But Louis Morales, the more I, I didn't know a ton, the more I dug into it, the more I watched starts, um, the more I fell in love with the operation. It's super athletic, it's super smooth, there's easy velo, there's stuff there. But how does this guy project? Because he's easy to fall in love with. It's a pitching prospect in the lower minors. Um, but that is a it's always difficult with pitching prospects. Things can go awry. So talk to me about Louis Morales. How is he viewed internally? How is he viewed externally? He is a player that did crack our top 100 as well. Internally, he he's viewed as, especially like you mentioned, a couple of these guys are going to graduate in short order. Uh, I think there's more than enough people in Oakland system who think this could be their number one prospect in, in relatively short order. And like you said, it's easy to fall in love with. I think every pitch that he has ranks among the top four or five, at least in the system in, in stuff plus, you know, like it, you flip on it. And this is actually, I don't know, I give a peek inside the, the curtain of the process with him. But as I started watching more video, uh, and I don't know if you, you would say this about yourself, but I have no problem saying it. If there's a, a, a data question or a guy that I want on the pitching side to take a second look at, I'm going to Jeff Ponce. Um, and so as we kind of dug into that, I'm like, I got to ask Jeff about this guy. There, there is something here. It's it's freakish stuff. It's fastball. Uh, he's parking it in the, the upper 90s right now. Uh, he has two distinct breaking balls that are plus. I think the sliders may be a little bit further down the road, and, and the A's are going to choose to prioritize developing that that sweeper early. But uh, three plus pitches, ease of operation. The body looks good. There's relatively low mileage on the arm because of how he came over from Cuba. He didn't pitch much prior to turning pro. Uh, you know, he's got to, he's got to show that he can, can command it over more than 30, 40 professional innings. Um, and there's inherent risk obviously with any young pitching prospect, but when you add all those things together, especially considering maybe two, thinking about what we talked about in terms of for a couple of years, this system was devoid of a guy at the top of the list who had had that ability to kind of unlock, I would say an extra gear or get to that. I think we put a 60 extreme on him, get to a 60 in, in the system. Like he's that one. And so I I'm very excited about him granted, you know, pitching prospect, but I think that there's a lot of reasons to get excited and I'm looking forward to to see and I I think he could return to high A to start the year, but I also think that uh, the A's feel he's got at least a shot to open the year uh, in Double A. Yeah, and that's the Midwest League, man. And this is this is my long uh, held belief that if I had an international player in particular, but definitely a pitcher, I would skip the Midwest League. Like I'd send him to Double A, you know. Um, having a pitch in some of those conditions would concern me. But then again, the numbers will look good. 
because nobody can hit at that time either. So maybe you do send them to the Midwest League and you see what happens. But um, I would assume that's probably, you're probably right, that is where he ends up. From a stuff perspective, the mechanics perspective, the pitch mix perspective, some of the pitchability stuff I think is there. Really, it's the the innings buildup, which I think with most pitchers outside of really experienced college starters who had like multiple, you know, 90 plus inning type of seasons in college um, and the command. And it's not like it's crazy command concerns. Like it's like he needs to refine things a little bit more. You know, it's not one of these where he's going to have a, you know, a, a 16 or 17 percent like walk rate you know, in a year over 90 innings. I don't think we're going to see something like that. But uh, it's just a matter of those innings build up. I think that's the biggest thing with him. If he can get built up for another 40, 50 innings, additionally on what he pitched last year, you know, we could be talking about something. Uh, and somebody that potentially breaks out in a big way because the stuff is absolutely there. All right. that Those are the guys we're really excited about. Now we're going to go into a little bit more of a grab bag. Um, back into the top 10 here. Talk to me about a couple of players that you're you're excited about or age fans should be excited about. I think there is definitely an interesting debate here potentially between Lawrence Butler and Denzel Clark. We don't have to get into that. They can read the scouting reports on the site. <laughs> what do you want to do, Mark? What do you want to talk about? Please do. Please subscribe. Uh, we love our subscribers. Uh, I want to talk about – I'm going out of order here. I would love to talk about Joe Boyle, and I would love to get your take on Joe Boyle too because he's another – relatively divisive guy in the system like to, to your point about um morales not having exorbitant or, or extreme command issues uh, joe boyle did he did for a while whether it was in college or even as a professional in the red system uh, i i would say unsustainable walk rates but when he came over to oakland in, in a very under the radar deadline deal he started throwing a lot more strikes and granted i personally and i'm more conservative by nature i feel like i need to see it over a longer period of time before I'm ready to say that, you know, Joe Boyle is a two times through the order guy, but in the, you know, for everything that we said about Morales's stuff, Boyle's the other name on the list at the top right there with him. And I think that fastball at triple digits, uh, the slider, it's electric stuff. And I think it might've been easy a year ago to write him off as, as no more than a reliever. And I think he made enough strides in his major league debut that the A's are now thinking about, something more he's a really interesting guy it can go you know there, there's a there's a pretty high ceiling there but it, it could there's plenty of reasons for me to also believe it could revert back to what we saw for three or four years prior without it wasn't like he made a as far as i know a major mechanical change um so he's probably another one of those guys here where there are a couple different paths but um the ingredients are really exciting for me and i'd, I'd be curious what your take is on Boyle. Yeah, I think there was definitely something from a location standpoint um, that changed with Boyle in terms of like where the A's told him to throw certain pitches. They might have just told him to throw right down the middle, frankly. And he has That's... the kind of where. But it would shock me if Cincinnati wasn't doing that, just knowing their pitch and development and how they've done a pretty good job of like wrangling very wild pitchers and getting more command out of them. Um, but if you look at the numbers, I mean, his big sample in double A and the jump to the A's, there's a significant, you know, downgrade in terms of what that is. It jumps back up at triple A, but 
everybody walked guys at AAA last year because of the zone. So, like, walk rates at AAA, I don't even know what to make of them. Um, and then in the majors, it was, like, the best it's ever been. <laughs> it was really unusual because, like, this guy couldn't throw strikes and you saw him in college um, and was a reliever with Notre Dame at the end of his career, I believe. Um, so it's really, really unusual. But it's humongous stuff. I mean, we talked about Mason Miller. It's kind of the same archetype. Like, fastball sits 97, 98 miles an hour. I've seen it up to 102 on my gun. Um, you know, slider kind of cuttery in the high 80s. And then a curveball. Um, he actually throws the curveball more than I would have anticipated, too. It was about 10% in the majors, but... It's something. I mean, he's below 60% in terms of the fastball, and he certainly has fastball velocity and quality to do that. It is really interesting. It's funny because he didn't really miss a lot of bats in the majors. Um, and guys actually made a fair amount of contact <laughs> against Joe Boyle, but they didn't do a lot of damage. Um, you know, this is certainly fluky, and this will come back up, but over those 16 innings in the majors, he had a 179 batting average on balls in play. Um, so, you know, there's some luck that's going to revert back. I also think, and this is something that we've seen in certain studies, but never had anything super, super tangible. Guys who throw this fast also in certain locations get really bad contact. So there could be some, maybe a little more pitching the contact type of stuff where it leads to more strikes it leads to less strikeouts, but it also leads to maybe a lot of bad contact and easy outs. To, to your point, the I did get in the reporting for this list when it came to Boyle at a certain point, we just said, throw your best stuff middle-middle if you have to. I, I don't think that, that everyone's going to be able to do much with it, and I'm sure that the Reds are telling them the same thing, but that's certainly part of it. Like Your, your stuff can play in the zone. Now let it eat. Um, and it's like 19, 20 innings in the major leagues, but uh, it's encouraging. I realize this is a, a, a reductive statement, um, and, and this applies to every prospect and every team, but he's a great example, and you mentioned Clark and Butler, where if this thing is going to get any better in the majors for Oakland, it has to go right with Joe Boyle. It ha You have to reach almost the best possible outcome with a Butler or a Clark if you think you're going to – going to supplement this major league roster with with impact talent uh, that's what makes him so interesting to me where where there's a lot riding on them unlocking joe boyle because of the limitations that they're facing in, in player acquisition elsewhere uh, i think he, he's an interesting name at, at the back of this list um, i've always liked lawrence butler i'd really like i'm probably the high man on, on denzel clark i really like denzel clark when he's healthy even Hernandez was was very interesting this year in terms of like hitterish freakish bat to ball needs to probably get it in the air more. Um, I also don't think he ends up sticking at shortstop. Some of that might be limitations and some of that is going to be Jacob Wilson. Uh, Gilloff is pretty entrenched at second base. So it becomes a question of what exactly do you do with him? Um, he probably has the defensive ability to play third base. I think he probably wants someone who hits for a little bit more power there in, in an optimal lineup configuration, but uh, he will impact the big league club as well in, in 24. So there are some interesting names here for sure. And we didn't even hit on uh, the last one on the list who, I, who I'm pretty excited to talk about as well. 
Yeah, so let's get into that as well. Also, one thing I wanted to mention on Joe Boyle with some of the strike rates, uh, I actually forgot that he began his season in the Southern League. Pre-tech ball. Pre-tech ball. So I wonder how that impacts him as well, because those strike uh, those strike rates go up and the walk rates go way down when he leaves that league. So kind of interesting. Uh, maybe there's something more there than we realize. So talk to me about Stephen Echeverria. We looked up before the show how to pronounce it. So we are we believe it is Echeverria. Talk <laughs> a little bit about him. High school, cold weather arm from New Jersey. Was expecting to go to Florida, and the A's popped him in the draft, gave him the largest bonus that they've given to a prep pitcher uh, since AJ Puck. Or, sorry, largest bonus that they've given to any pitcher, I believe, since AJ Puck. Um, so that's kind of the the reading from the scouting report part. The the reporting on him once he turned pro, I had a few people tell me, you know, you should run Morales up the list, but you shouldn't have this guy too far behind him. Uh, when he got to instructs. He was sitting 96, 97. Granted, you know, over an extended year, maybe it comes down a little bit. But mid-90s fastball, feel to spin his slider, feel for a changeup. He's another kind of smooth ease of operation guy where if you just flip on the video or watch him pitch, uh, you really like the delivery. I think that there's the ability to throw strikes there. There's the ability for three solid average, if not uh, above average pitches. Um, with the chance for the fastball to continue to get better as he gets stronger. I know, again, inherent risk, high school prep arm, but this is another arm in the system who has a chance to to maybe surprise some people in, in 2024. Nice. That's a good segue into some of the sleepers and breakouts. So we have to pick a breakout every year. Who's a breakout in this system you want to talk about? Somebody's got to be 11 to 30 plus, could be in the 40s, doesn't matter. Somebody who you think people aren't talking about that they might be next year. Can I pick two? I'm gonna cheat and pick two. I'm gonna so Jack Perkins is one, but he he might count as half a breakout in 2023. I know that you uh, touched on it when you looked at uh, the gains in, in average fastball velocity year over year. Jack Perkins was the name at the top. It's a it's a really good fastball that can play at the top of the zone. I think the biggest thing for him uh, now that he's settled into a starting role, he has experimented with two different types of sliders. He's, he's thrown a, a sweepier slider at times. They tried to take some sweep off it and make it a little bit more of a, a, a downer. I don't think that they've settled necessarily on an optimal slider for him or that he is necessarily settled on an optimal feel. But there's, again, feel to spin there. I think it has the potential to be a pretty solid pitch. Now you're looking at mid-90s heater, slider. I think this guy has a chance to start. It's probably the back of, back of a rotation or perhaps he – on better teams, he's more of one of those multi-inning hammers out of the bullpen. But this is an interesting mix in a system that, again, needs needs some some arms. I think the thing that I've always run into uh, the last couple of years with the A's is that there are a few, and maybe this is the case across all systems. I'm sure. I'm sure it is. There are a few guys that you felt really good about as as definitive starters. There's a lot of guys on that that number five or multi-inning line. Uh, He's a guy who I feel better about as a starter now than I did a year ago. Uh, so Perkins is one. The other guy who got some pretty good reviews is outfielder Colby Thomas. He's, um, he came out of Mercer. He was hurt. Yeah, year grinning. He he flew under the radar. He wasn't even on our top 30 last year. There's a lot of swing and miss. The walk rate's going to have to come up at some point. But there's electricity in the bat. He can run. 
he can throw all the tools around the hit tool. Um, you know, you want to have the Denzel Clark conversation is similar type of concerns with, with Colby Thomas, but if he shows the ability to pick up on spin and lay off of spin, that is not going to help him. I think he has a chance as well as an outfielder a little bit further down the system um, to rise up and make an impact. Yeah. I like Thomas a lot. I saw him um, with Bourne 2021 summer on the Cape and he was kind of a sleeper guy. The numbers were pretty good. There is some swing and miss. It's a super steep bat path, um, but he's tooled up moves pretty well. He has a rocket. I have a couple of videos that are up on Twitter um, or X, excuse me, um, that have that have Colby Thomas like throwing guys out from center field at home, like rocket throws. Like I think I saw him throw somebody out at home from the center field wall, and the catcher on the play might actually be Dalton rushing. So, oh wow, we're on the same team. That was a fun one. Yeah. There are some fun guys in the system to watch play defense in the outfield, whether it's Clark, yeah. Thomas, Henry Bolte, uh, Brian, nice. who's liable to run through a fence. Uh, <laughs> of Rutgers. Yes, of Rutgers. Um, so, I, you know, not I know it's not always the, the most fun part to write about in the scouting report, but there is some legitimate outfield defense going on here in, in Oakland. Yeah, and I think, you know, um, true to their name, they draft quite a few athletes. It's an it's an athletic system, you might say. Um, you know what? We gave the people two different breakout names. I'm going to hold off on the sleepers because we have 31 to 40s hitting sight, all that good stuff. There's going to be plenty more to read. And uh, Mark, I want to thank you for joining me. I want to thank all the listeners, particularly the subscribers to Baseball America. You are the lifeblood of our day-to-day and uh, we exist to entertain you and inform you. So I hope we're doing that Uh, for Jeff, for Mark. This has been another baseball America podcast. Don't forget to like rate and subscribe. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.